0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Mindful Compassion Show. My name's Paul Garrigan and I look after the Mindfulness Program here at Hope. And good afternoon, my name's Douglas Sutherland. I'm one of the counsellors here at Hope. So, Doug, what we were going to talk about today is counselling and we're going to be looking at some of the different aspects of counselling and stuff like, you know, how people, if they're interested, can become counsellors. Okay. The the first question is very kind of general, but
1: what I'd like to ask you is what actually is a counsellor? Well, from my experience and and the training I've done the counsellor is essentially somebody who um, provides a space where an individual can explore feelings, hopes, um, the past, the future, um, any kind of psychological difficulties that they're having in a safe environment. And what is the difference, say, between a counsellor and a good friend? A good friend um, will often be supportive, whereas a counsellor actually has a duty to be honest. So I'm not saying that a good friend wouldn't be honest, but not necessarily. Um, And with a counsellor, you have boundaries in place specific to contracting, about information, about times when you're due to arrive, Um, so it's, it's a lot more structured. And could a friend be a counsellor? Um, it's not something. I mean, a friend could be a counsellor, but I wouldn't recommend counselling friends. Right. And what? What? Um, so a lot of the clients here are
0: going to be like doing the twelve steps and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I know that they have things like sponsors.
1: So what would be the difference then between a counsellor and a sponsor? Well. I suppose the significant difference, if if there is one, because a lot of sponsors as well um, may well be counsellors. They may do it uh, as a profession. Um, For those who don't, a counsellor is somebody who, in my opinion, who has gone through education, has experience, life experience, who has actually studied counselling, understands some of the basics. Whereas a uh, a sponsor yes they can talk about their own experience and how they've um, developed and what they've done um, to achieve recovery but it doesn't necessarily mean that that will fit with that particular person.
0: And does the fact that say you know with a a 12 step sponsor they're more or less doing it for free and and most counsellors are going to be sort of being paid somehow does that sort of make a difference positively and negatively?
1: Um, Yes I think it probably does. Um, as you say, you know, the majority of sponsors, people who are actually sponsoring others, will be doing it for free um, as an obligation to do service, um, whereas a counsellor normally would be employed. So they would also have structures around the environment they're employed by, they would have guidelines to adhere to, whereas um, a counsellor wouldn't, uh, sorry, a sponsor wouldn't necessarily have those. So there can actually be advantage
0: to, advantage to the fact that someone's doing it like, on that as their job? Yes, oh, without doubt, yeah. What um? So, what can clients actually expect from a counsellor, and what, what could they expect from say, uh, a counsellor that they wouldn't expect from a therapist or from a you know for a sponsor? Like, the,
1: what's the the main kind of um, expectations? Well, the the, the term counsellor and therapist are pretty interchangeable. Um, what you'd expect is somebody who wouldn't judge, who you know, Rogers. Um, mentioned. Um, Carl Rogers talked about the uh, six conditions. Um, so, you know, the client and the therapist would have to be in psychological contact. The client themselves would have to be incongruent um, or vulnerable, um, so not able to understand their own process and what's going on. The therapist would have to be congruent, so they would understand and be able to um, pick up some of the dis- discrepancies for the client and allow them to to help develop their self-image. The therapist would actually also have to be have unconditional positive regard so it's non-judgmental and so that again kind of comes back to the counsellor relationship or the friend relationship where the counsellor is obliged not to judge somebody. Um, They also have empathy so the ability to put themselves in the same place or to feel as the client does Um, and the client's perception um, has to be there, where that actually there's a beneficial relationship going on. And does the does the counsellor kind of have
0: to be quite together in themselves? I mean, like like so, say in, you know the counsellors who who work in addiction recovery. I mean, would they necessarily even need to be in
1: recovery for one? Well, not necessarily. Um, I've worked with some excellent counsellors who are in recovery and I've worked with some excellent counsellors who have no addiction issues at all so it's the ability to do the job that governs that really. Right. And would a counsellor have to be, even have good mental health or good coping strategies in their in their normal life? Um, it would certainly be an advantage um, I know from my own personal journey that um, you know, when I went through university part of the course it was actually mandated that I had to have personal therapy um, um, I suppose as long as they were being professional and there was no um, crossing of boundaries with the clients, they weren't using clients for their own gratification in any way, ego or financial or anything, then I suppose it's, it's, they, they could be not well and still do a good job. That's possible, um, although I would say it's less
0: likely. And do, like, do counsellors kind of um, talk about their own stuff or
1: is it mostly just focus on the client? Oh, well, in the counselling relationship, it's about the client, and it's about the client's experience. Um, Would a counsellor kind of say things like, well, this is how I handle this situation? Possibly, but that would be more likely to be within the sponsor relationship, the the counsellor relationship. Being in recovery myself, there are times when my own experience is certainly something that would be relevant to share with the client. But I don't necessarily couch it as my experience. I'll um, I'll share it with the client as the experience of someone else, you know, who's in recovery. Um, just sometimes, but I will, you know, I, I'm quite happy with self-disclosure. There are times when I, I will do that. Um, but it's about the client engaging where the client is and how best you think that they would receive that information. And what I think you've kind of mentioned this already, but what makes a good counsellor? What makes a good counsellor? Somebody with the ability... Well, I think you have to come from a place of um, of caring, of, of wanting to be able to, to help, a feeling of, you know, genuineness um, and that ability to actually hear somebody else and be with somebody else without judging them um, and kind of help them to facilitate change for themselves because ultimately, you know, the, the therapist can't do the recovery... Um, client has to do it, so the client has to own it, because if they don't own it, they won't value it, and if they don't value it, they won't look after it. So you can open doors, and you can help, and you can provide a space, um, and, and that's probably the best thing to be able to do. And um, would you say there are kind of different styles of counselling? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I trained within the humanistic branch of counselling. Um, my foundation was in person-centred counselling. Um, and would it be a personal style, like sort of in regards to the the counsellors, kind of develop their own style as well on top of that? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are some within person-centred counselling who would be very rigid and say you don't ask questions and things like that. But personally, um, I, I ask questions and I'll reflect back, and I can be quite challenging within the relationship. But that's the, the humanistic, which. Um, can involve things like existential or gestalt or solution focused transactional analysis, these are all different modalities within the humanistic branch but there's also things like CBT and there's, um, which is more uh, taking on the role of a, a teacher and a, you know, you've got it's more structured in that sense um, so there are exercises, different exercises to do and things like that, so the client is more the, the therapist is more the, the teacher whereas um, my humanistic side although there's still a, a power dynamic it tries to be more equal and actually treat the client as the expert because they're the person that actually knows about their life more than anybody else more than the therapist and,
0: and so obviously then you know the the the, the clients I mean different clients are probably
1: going to suit different counseling styles are not they oh yeah definitely definitely there's some people who would um, not particularly who would like to be felt like they were being taught something so Mm -hmm. that they could buy into it definitely without a doubt others are are happier with the discovery process of of more person centred or humanistic Um, there's also psychodynamic there's lots of different modalities of therapy right across the board so it really is about what fits with the the client yeah and I think that's kind of important because one thing
0: I kind of you know I remember when I was caught up in addiction is that you know, if something doesn't work it can almost be this sense that it's always going to be your fault and maybe it ain't necessarily so all the time that maybe you know, if you've say, gone with a counsellor maybe that counsellor wasn't obviously you have to be ready but, I mean, it could also be the case where maybe that particular counsellor wasn't offering what you needed.
1: Would that be fairness? to oh, say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, one of the rehabs I've worked in previously, and, and this one as well, if we have a client that we feel isn't perhaps working well or there isn't the, the therapeutic relationship isn't being built, um, then we'll look at swapping to a different counsellor and giving them the opportunity to actually have somebody else to work with because not everybody fits together. You know? Yes, I was going to ask next. I mean, can there be sort of... Even even though you, you know your style may be
0: good and you may be very... Um highly edu- educated as a counselor, but could there still be like
1: personality clashes and, and things oh, like yeah, that? yeah, without doubt without doubt I mean you know that that 's human life there's personality clashes with people all the time and and that certainly happens within the counseling environment as well and if that does happen, you know just the the one thing to be sure of is to make sure that actually you ask to change if you 're a client and you don't feel that um the client the counselor that you're working with is actually has the ability to help you then voice that talk about it makes sense could
0: and I I think I know what you're going to say can the the counselling relationship ever
1: be damaging oh yes in what ways could it be damaging well I mean you know if you've got a counsellor who's as you spoke of earlier about somebody who's not very well or not in a good space themselves um, see for the client what's actually happening with the relationship is this could be the first time they've ever been in a relationship where somebody is willing to listen to them, to listen to all their fears and anxieties, the first time they've ever had the opportunity to actually be completely honest with somebody who's non-judgmental. So one of the, you know, side effects of that can be um, romantic relationships develop from the client, which is perfectly natural. That kind of transference. Yeah, all that, that can go on. So, yes... The therapist can take advantage of that. If they're a bad therapist, they can also take advantage. You know, if they've got a client who they don't think is actually making any progress, but they're paying a lot of money, so the therapist will keep them on the books, even though they actually they're. they're not and what doing about things like help. accepting gifts and that kind of thing? No, I mean, is there a code of conduct? For there, there is a code of conduct. There's um, probably one of the best is um, ethics. Um, Tim Bond's ethics, um, which I do have here somewhere. I've got the book. Oh, we we'll, we'll link, we'll link to it later on, but yeah. it's "Standards and Ethics and Counselling mm-hmm. in Action" by Tim Bond. Um, we have a, we used to run a policy whereby you know a box of chocolates may be okay, um, nothing over five pound. Um, in value um, so wouldn't really accept gifts from clients it 's not really appropriate but at the same time as long if it 's small because actually what the client is doing is trying to show their appreciation and sometimes actually you don 't want to just go no because they may be offended by that and actually you know it may be the first time they 've ever taken the risk to invest and to, to show their emotion to somebody else so it's about judging that but about also making sure that when you begin the, the contracting process at the beginning of the relationship all these things need to be laid out along with you know the confidentiality within the organization and all these kind of things need to be set out before you know the initial uh, sessions so that everybody actually knows where they are both Makes for sense. the client's protections and for the therapist's would you would you say that everyone who comes to rehab necessarily requires counseling Whew. In my experience so far, yes. <laughs> that doesn't mean to say that I won't meet somebody who doesn't. Um, it's very rare, and I, certainly I haven't come across it yet, where somebody's ended up in rehab by mistake um, and they don't need to be there. So, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one. If I you know, ever meet somebody that doesn't need counselling, then... I suppose I'm thinking of a place like Kabak where I went, where, where there is oh, no counselling. Ah, OK, OK. Um, well, you know, there's a, a, a great swathe out there of people who get well without counselling. Um, they just they change their lives, they do something different, um, they engage in different practices or start different hobbies, they just get to the point where they've had enough of living the life one way and they, and they have the capability to turn around and, and to do something different.
0: Yeah.
1: Can um, anybody become a counsellor?
0: I think anybody can do the training um, whether I'm thinking more particularly now say ex-clients and stuff like that so people who come to, to rehab and they you know they, they they get well themselves and they sort mm-hmm. of feel a
1: calling to this kind of line of work I mean can basically anyone well that's, that, that's exa- just what you're describing is exactly what I did um, mm-hmm. I was in treatment um, six years ago um, and when I finished I kind of had an idea that I was going to have a degree in five years but I wasn't exactly sure how but I knew I was going to be working in this field somewhere so I went through the process and went to uni and got my degree and you know and I was volunteering and working all through that. So It sounds like you did it the right way, but like, could anyone just call themselves a counsellor? Um, unfortunately yes, um, although that is changing um, this, um, as I was talking about earlier with the standards and practice. Groups like the BACP and the UKCP um, in the UK um, have some strict guidelines about who needs qualifications and they're trying to professionalise the organisations. I mean, within those organisations, we also need to have supervision, which is good for a counsellor, as you were talking about earlier, if they're in a good space. Whereas in other countries, there isn't a requirement for that. So.
0: And what's the, sort of, what would you say is the kind of minimum training? that people need to be counselling is there a minimum is there like a
1: diploma or a certificate or a degree well once I'd passed my diploma I got my first job as a, as a therapist as a junior therapist um, I also you know I stayed on and I continued my training and it, it depends on the, the organisation um, some organisations do some fantastic in-house training others expect you to be at a decent standard before you would even apply for them so it, it's Depends on the place. Mm-hmm. And so, what would you sort of
0: say to somebody you know who, who who's in recovery and is thinking that he might like counselling? Mm-hmm. I mean, how is there any kind of clues that you know from your experience that you, you'd be good at it or that you'd make it as a counsellor before you start?
1: Um, like being a pe- like, do you need to be a people person or, or that kind of thing? It's difficult to be honest. Um, You know, my own experience of going through treatment and being involved with therapists, you know, and I had some brilliant therapists when I was in in treatment. And I also, you know, through my degree course, I had to have therapy as well. And I had a couple of uh, therapists who weren't so good. Um, So I don't think... I think you've just got to try it. Can you get a taste of it beforehand? Like, we have the the
0: volunteers here and stuff like that. And we think that would... um, is that something you would recommend? Maybe try
1: volunteering somewhere? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, without doubt. I mean, as I say, when I come out of treatment, I volunteered. Um, and I would go into services in the UK and be an example to people that actually recovery is possible. And I did that for, I think, 13, 14 months. And then I got a job as a recovery coordinator. And I did that for another, you know, over a year um, before I got a job as a junior therapist. So I was working with clients all the time. Full time, um, and that was something that I learned a massive amount from. Brilliant. And you know, some some
0: you know clients, perhaps many clients. I mean, they may have a very sketchy work record, Mm -hmm. maybe have big gaps where they weren't working, and some of them may even have criminal records. I mean, can these type of people, you know, really
1: consider a career in counselling, and will that get in the way? Um, Well, it depends. You know, you you talk about the the criminal record. That would depend on what um, the convictions were for um, and how it was disposed of. Um, You know, if there's something, you know, with um, children or there's um, arson or things like that or murder, then it's it's highly unlikely. Although I'm not saying... I mean, the stuff with children would definitely be a no. Um, But, I, I mean, from my experience... That, that's why the, the volunteering was so important because it allows you to start to rebuild your CV to get some consistency to get some work history and allows you the experience of having that as well and, and in your experience the of people
0: offering these jobs are they very understanding
1: yes yeah because they, they accept I mean one of the big changes in the UK in the last few years is the understanding that actually people who are in recovery are probably the people who can help those who are trying to get into recovery the most somebody with their own personal experience and um, going from that environment yourself and having had the experience that you've had and then being able to relate that to others certainly helps and in regards to, to, to the recovery um,
0: would you sort of say that clients kind of need a bit of clean time before they even consider something like this and what, what how long would that kind of
1: be well I mean they used to say that you needed two years clean before you could start working within the environment within the, the field But that's changed a lot in the last few years. I think it's down to about six months now, is the recommended. Um, What's your view on that? I think before, you know, it it depends on the individual, ultimately. You know, some people are almost ready to go straight away. Other people, it could take a long time before they're ready for that. I think for everybody, I would give it at least six months, you know, um, before you know, taking on any employment of actually volunteering, starting to get some experience. Yeah, like, is there a risk? I mean we used to call it, say, to
0: refer to walking wounded, mm. of people sort of becoming counsellors in the hope that we'll fix them.
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. You know, I, I remember, you know, sitting in my um, groups at university, um, with you know, people and kind of noticing who was there to get well. You know, mm. Because yeah. that, and that, be, and that can be a problem, can't it? That can be a problem, yeah can be a problem and thankfully I mean I went to, uh, the course I went on was excellent run by a guy called Lindsay Cooper at University of Nottingham Um, phenomenal course and I'm really grateful that I did it and actually when you know those kind of situations occurred, which didn't happen often but it did happen um, then people were the card was marked if you like they weren't thrown out or anything like that but you know it was you know Perhaps suggested that they go and do some other work on themselves first, and then come back. And it.
0: You see, how long have you been counselling now?
1: Um, I started actually as a counsellor, um, employed as a counsellor in 2014.
0: So, so a few years now. And i just wondering because the, the question just came to me now. I mean, do you, you know we have volunteers here and stuff like that? Like, do you ever kind of get a sense that someone will make a good counsellor? And would you would you suggest to someone that that's a line? they would consider, that's an area they would consider.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's some people who you will see that just naturally come to the, the environment and the way they respond and their understanding and their enthusiasm, um, but ultimately there are no guarantees, you can you can kind of, you know, hope that somebody would do well um, and suggest it. And but it has to be so when you've sort of gone, oh, this person may go counsellor. Yeah, but you never know whether they'll make a good counselor. You think they might make a good mm. counselor, but ultimately you don't know. So it's about it's a journey of discovery, you know. Cuz so you wouldn't put a bet on it. No, I wouldn't put a bet on anybody, yeah. you know. And and also as well, you know, especially within the addiction field, the burnout rate can be really high. So it's about learning to to kind of pace yourself and to not take on too much and to a lot of self-care needs to be evol- involved, especially if you're in recovery yourself, you know, because actually what you're doing is you're sitting in your you're listening and you're there with somebody when they're going through some of their really deepest and darkest stuff and and if you can't put that down when you leave at the end of the night if you start taking that stuff home with you that's going to really affect you so and sort of in the UK I mean if someone was
0: was seriously considering counselling what type of um, wage could you expect that someone
1: starting off well um, if you're somebody who's possibly working in a rehab in the UK I mean it obviously depends different organizations um I would say probably around about 19 to 20 um if it's CBT like what they call uh, psychological well-being practitioners now uh, with qualifications um the low intensity is about 20 between 20 and 22 I think it is um, and the high intensity is about thirty-two, so you know it can be reasonably lucrative. And then there are opportunities to kind of uh, train and earn at the same time? Yeah, yeah, there certainly are in the UK. The the promotion of um, IAPT um, improved access to psychological therapies in the UK. Um, you can actually become um, employed by an NHS organisation, and they will pay for you to go to university one day a week. So that's good. And but do you, and do you agree to stay with them for a certain time? At the time, yeah. Time? yeah. That's after, you've, after you've been there, you can then also progress into further training and things like that. So, so the final thing I want to ask, because I think some people are going to be
0: interested in this, I think maybe many, is kind of resources. What resources would you kind of recommend for people interested in counselling, in both senses, both those who want to be a counsellor or those who
1: just want to know if they need counselling? Um, well, yeah, you know, there's some great stuff on on uh, the internet. Um, one of the first books I read um, when I applied for the course to become a counsellor was a book called Counselling in a Nutshell by a guy called Wendy Dryden, um, which is a very small book, um, but it it's a really good gives you a really good overview of counselling. Um, and another great one is Counselling for Toads by a guy called uh, Robert DeBoard. Um So those are a couple of good books. I'll link to those. i link to those in the in the show notes and um, you know, for people who are really seriously thinking about it The Gift of Therapy by Irving Yalom and The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck are both brilliant books for um, giving you a, well I won't say actually read them and you'll find out
0: that's brilliant well thanks a lot Doug I've really, I've really enjoyed this I think we're going to have to do, do another one soon